You're listening to Reimagined Radio. Real talk, real life, real magic. Well, hello everyone. This is Lisa with Reimagined Radio. We are doing some changes with the, with my show and we're going to be introducing some really cool new things coming up. I am really excited about what we're doing and I'm having some tech problems. Ruby, can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? I can. Yay. Yay. So <laughs> I just want to take a second now that I know that I can actually be heard and talk about what we're up to in general and today for the next couple of weeks. Um, for a very long time, I've done a radio show. And most recently, Incarnation is Love, Life, and Law of Attraction. And we are upgrading that significantly um, right now. We are sort of rebirthing that whole thing into a network called Reimagined Radio of hosts and amazing coaches who are dedicated to providing the kind of inspiration and the tools that we think it takes to really support somebody in having an up-leveled, easier, more joyful life. Um, Ruby is going to be one of those hosts, and so for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to interview the new hosts, kind of give everybody an opportunity to get to know what's the new hosts and what's coming up, and I'm really excited about all of that. So today is the first, and obviously, I'm having some technical issues. Ruby nailed it without any problems, but we're we're going to... We're going to really introduce some cool people and some really great material, and I'm just so thrilled about what's actually coming up. So, Ruby, before we even get started, why don't you introduce yourself, kind of give us your background, um, what you're planning to do with your show, and then and then we'll get rolling here. Fantastic. And, Lisa, um, again, what you just said Thank you again for putting this together. I think Reimagined Radio is really going to this whole thing to a new level where the listeners are going to get a 360-degree uh, uh, experience um, from very specific areas, from a whole host, uh, a whole range of coaches that are going to show up uh, for, this, uh, for, for these uh, podcasts. So just a little bit about myself, uh, I am a transformational life coach uh, and a yoga practitioner, and um, I have dedicated my life to studying and practicing um, everything that has been written in the yoga sutras, um, and I am also uh, a, a law of attraction practitioner. And we can talk about why I have mixed these two little, uh, uh, you know, during the show a little while. Uh, but essentially what I do is that I work with individuals, I coach individuals to uh, make uh, spiritually led inner transformations uh, to have an immediate and huge uh, external impact uh, and thereby allowing them to manifest uh, whatever it is that they want, and more importantly, whatever, manifest whatever is their life's uh, purpose. Um, and, you know, uh, and a little bit background about where I, what I've done so far, I've been in the corporate um, environment for uh, 15 odd years, always in the training, coaching, 
and HR uh, department. And um, I decided to make that switch. Uh, I didn't uh, feel comfortable within the corporate environment. And I wanted to kind of do something that was uh, spiritually led, heart led, and something that allowed me to uh, provide me that flexibility to explore what I wanted to explore for myself, yet be of service to uh, people who were looking for what I had to offer. And as a result, I became a coach. I started my business, and I'm doing now a whole range of things. I have uh, my one-on-one coaching. I have my podcast. And now with this reimagined radio, it's going to be a, 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 a network that I'm associated with. Um, I do a lot of writing. Um, and I hold a, a service uh, uh, space uh, weekly gatherings at my home where um, every week we kind of, you know, people who want to come in and want to walk in can uh, come here on that weekly uh, uh, weekly uh, gathering and we sit in silence and we meditate and just exchange our stories. So it's been a fun journey and I feel that I have, uh, I am living uh, the life that I really want to live and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm totally ecstatic, uh, so to speak. You, I mean, you come from such an incredibly diverse background, and I'm just going to pause and say there may be some snoring in the background with the dogs. It's always my dog snoring disclaimer, and I had a plan for blocking that out, but given my tech issues, it didn't work. So ignore the snoring. <laughs> we'll block it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think what's fascinating to me about your work, you and I come from a similar background probably in a lot of ways, and I think this introduction or this concept of yoga, it's not really an introduction, but I mean, in the States, you're from India. So you come at this from a different perspective, I think, than a lot of people who are in the United States. I mean, when we think about yoga, we think about something very different than I think people think about yoga in other cultures, particularly cultures where yoga is much more of a religious or spiritual practice than a go to the YMCA and do Bakaram for 90 minutes and walk out drenched in sweat, which there's nothing wrong with that. But it is, it, it is only a glimpse or a fraction of what yoga really offers. And I mean, when I look at spirituality as we know it, I mean, law of attraction, and then the marriage of that with this union with the body and how the body hosts spirit and what all of that means, it feels to me like our conversation about yoga in the United States is really short-sighted, if not incomplete. There's, there's a lot here that we aren't tapping into in terms of the depth and width and real neediness of yoga. Can you speak to that a little bit? For sure. And um, I think you're not wrong when you characterize um, how yoga is viewed, uh, at least in the popular culture, um, how it is viewed. Um, and, and just let, let's, let's take a step back and look at, you know, how it has evolved. So although yoga originated, um, we, we don't know exactly the location where it originated, but yes, it is somewhere in the plains of uh, the Indian subcontinent. Um, but I, and, and I think for 
generations and centuries and centuries. And this is, this is I'm not even talking about the centuries that we count, like BC and AD. I'm talking about, you know, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. Um, yoga meant was meant as a tool um, for spiritual evolution of every single human. That's how. Uh, that's why it was developed. That's why it was practiced. Um, and I think even in India, um, to the larger population, um, at some point, yoga as 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 a whole, uh, the concept actually died. Uh, it wasn't as popular or well known, and it was only it was it was it was largely viewed as something that was taken on by um, individuals who wanted to give up the material world and kind of go into the mountains, go into the forests, and never be seen again. And they they uh, or they it was viewed for people who were either sages or saints who would uh, leave everything behind and just walk the earth. And at the same time, um, uh, what was happening is that within the Indian subcontinent, a lot of the yogic principles and the wisdom got picked up and were converted into uh, uh, mainstream religion. So a lot of the stuff that is there in Hinduism or Buddhism or Jainism which are very popular religions in India, um, you know, 80% of what's in these religions comes from the Yoga Sutra. So it might seem for a while that yoga was in the backseat and, and, and the people kind of lost their touch with yoga, but it, 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 because it was offered by religion in some format, uh, the wisdom still continues. Now, what happened is that... Um, a lot of the teachers, the main teachers in yoga, sent uh, a, a, a large number of disciples to, uh, to what I was saying before, you know, walk the earth and spread the message. Um, and a lot of them came to America. Some of them went to Europe. So in essence, what has happened is that even, even for Indians, even for pe- a person like me, yoga was re- rejuvenated, was revitalized in the West. Now, uh, that may be surprising, and, and, and that, but that is a fact. Even for Indians, um, the popularity that currently exists with yoga and the interest that exists in, in the concepts of yoga was solely because it was America, it was Europe that uh, took interest in, in the topics, uh, took interest uh, or prob- possibly were looking at an alternative uh, uh, offering to spirituality than what their religion was giving, and so they kind of wanted to know about yoga. But it is, a, it is the West is the reason why yoga kind of rejuvenated. Now, as that was happening, I think the intentions were to download yoga as it is. But if you if you notice that uh, you know uh, any of these teachers when they came here and they were they were you know holding these town halls they were holding these large groups of uh, predominantly white uh, people who who predominantly again had christian backgrounds and you talk to them about reincarnation and you talk to them about cosmos and you talk to them about consciousness it became difficult uh, and it was not an easy conversation to uh, to have and and 
And what I believe has happened is that um, because there were, uh, because you can't throw at people these cosmic conversations and spirits and ghosts and the, the, their existence and a, a higher self to a, to a group of people that don't believe in, in or have never heard or haven't grown up with that culture. I think what happened is that there were bits and pieces that were uh, digestible bits and pieces that were framed uh, uh, with the intention that, okay, I think they can only handle such and such. And what I feel then happened is that because one of the aspects of yoga is the postures, which is the, the asana, is the physical element, uh, that got picked up. And uh, then you have your Hollywood stars and your musicians who uh, were the first people to kind of investigate yoga. They picked up the, the asanas and the postures and the physical elements and that was what got popularized. And the spiritual aspect, we generally tend to be the more difficult, longer, tougher thing to uh, talk about or pursue. Unless somewhere it got lost. So then yoga just became uh, someone doing, you know, these twists, turns, and these pretzel-like activities, and who can stand in a twisted, you know, manner the longest. That's how um, you know, that's how yoga got rebranded, and that's where it stayed. And unfortunately, it stayed like that for a really long time. But I do believe that as we are finding more and more teachers, yoga teachers, taking interest, doing the physical activity, and then finding that hey, the physical activity is it's not enough. There's something more. And then when they investigate into the scriptures, into what the yogic wisdom it it has. Um, we are currently seeing a lot of uh, these teachers explore the spiritual side um, of, of yoga. So, uh, so, so, so in essence, the West is responsible, I, in my view, for the rejuvenation of yoga. And in India, as a result, because, uh, uh, you know, over the last 200 to 500 years, the East has looked to the West for a lot of leads. And when they saw that yoga has, has been reborn, um, it was a blessing for us because a lot of us back home kind of took, in, it took, took a interest again and have started kind of um, uh, reading and understanding the spiritual side of yoga. And, and for us, I think it wasn't that difficult because like I said, it was already ingrained in a lot of our religion, uh, but we have begun to understand the deeper layers of what yoga has to offer. So, I mean, I think, like, law of attraction, all of those different, ooh, I'm really echoing, all of those different sort of new agey spiritual practices that have come sort of popped up in the West recently. And when I say recently, I mean, we're talking the last decade or maybe two decades where that has really started to drift into sort of social prominence in the West. How much of, how much of that do you think has been largely influenced by Eastern spiritual traditions like the Yoga Sutras and some of the other Eastern spiritual traditions? Because it looks to me like, there is no such thing as new age. I mean, when we talk about new age, that word new is really deceptive. 
So, um, so new age in so new age is a uh, terminology that is used to define um, alternative spiritual practices in the West. So, if you look at the definition of new age, then yeah, law of attraction and any of these other uh, recent, uh, relatively recent uh, spiritual uh, phenomena, uh, it fits the definition. Because for centuries, you had uh, a set of practices and then, uh, you know, there was, there, was group, there was a group of people that wanted something more or wanted something different. And so they found other spiritual outlets. That is new age. So new age doesn't, like you said, is not that it's just recently discovered. It only means, as per the definition, an alternative spiritual practice uh, uh, based on Western traditions. So that's, that's really the definition. Now, to answer your first question, is it uh, any of the, all of these practices or any of them, are they rooted in uh, yoga sutras or any of the Eastern traditions? Uh, I can't speak for the authors of such, uh, 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 of such uh, uh, philosophies, but having studied law of attraction in detail, uh, I find law of attraction um, a contemporary way, it, it, for me, it's a contemporary way to explain a lot of the stuff that has been written in the Yoga Sutras. Now, um, having said that, if you look at any of these New Age philosophers, all of them have studied yoga. They, they follow Zen or Buddhism or have studied aspects of that. They do meditation. So... I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if they have read a lot of these books and then they they have come to through contemplation, self reflection, and self discoveries. They have translated that wisdom into a contemporary form so that people of this age, people that they are surrounded with, are able to understand uh, what these wisdoms are talking about. And, um, you know, I just want to share here that um, we talk about Abraham Hicks and Esther, who connects with Abraham, who is this entity um, that speaks through her. You know, I was thinking the other day, well, I'm not surprised that when Abraham speaks through her, he's speaking a lot of the things that are written in the Yoga Sutras, because you cannot have any other explanation come through from an higher self or a collective consciousness than what is already being written or discovered by ancient sages or saints or whatever. Because you're still tapping anyone, you, me, or anyone else that taps into a higher consciousness is going to discover the universal truth. So in a way, I'm not surprised that it's in line with um, a lot of the ancient wisdom because it can, it, it, there is no other way for it to be. There, there, there is always going to be one cosmic truth, one consciousness uh, that will come through. And the messaging, even though, even though the words might seem different, the essence will still remain the same. Which kind of leads me, you kind of already answered my next question. My next question was, like, is there really a practical application for ancient truth? We're living in a very different time than when the Yoga Sutras were written. Like, 
how do we apply that ancient wisdom in a modern day world with modern day issues and modern day stuff when it was not well it's not really true i mean it may have been intended for right now it's probably i mean it's certainly wisdom truth always resonates but it was written at a very different time in history so mm-hmm. is it still applicable and if so how so the I'm, I'm thinking over the question and the way i see it is that yes it was written or it was taught at a very different time but i don't i i have a sense that even at that time yes they might not have had eminent nuclear war or these uh, these these very obvious conflicts that we are facing uh, or seem the world seems to be facing right now but i can almost guarantee that even for their time they must be up against challenges that seem as monumental to them as we see our issues um being to us so i think the intensity of the challenges and the struggles that they felt with their individual and specific challenges of that era and that time just as intense as as we feel right now i don't think that intensity that struggle that confusion uh really is different I, you know and i and i what i'm trying to say is i don't think we should automatically feel that life is life was simpler and rosier and that they did not have conflict and challenges i think every decade every century every um uh ev- uh evolution past evolution of uh, of man had some challenges and for that group of people that lived through those challenges they felt pretty much the same way so having said that is the wisdom that is provided in any of these philosophies um is use as useful then as it is now and 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 it can be used exactly in the same way because if you that i can talk specific to yoga sutra so in, in yoga sutra the the intention is to the main intention is to take control of the mind and connect to a higher source so if that holds true uh, whether we're talking of of humans living 2000 years ago or whether you talk about you and me living through this day and age because if we don't have enough mastery and stability of the mind or we don't have a direct connection and an intuition connection to our higher self our actions um our thoughts are going to cause us pain suffering um and cause disturbances and that's exactly what's happening now so the yoga sutras guide you or yoga guides you on techniques to stabilize and control the mind and get to a phase of reaching and connecting with the higher self so does that answer your question that those wisdoms and the tools are absolutely and can be used even even today because i think that uh humans 
uh, through their evolution, through their expansion, um, how we move through that evolution and expansion, the fear, the doubt, the confusion, it's all real and it has the same intensity, irrespective of whichever decade and whichever century you're talking about. So I'm just going to give that a cliff note sort of summary. The, the yoga sutras aren't necessarily a guidebook or a roadmap to dealing with a specific issue. They are much more a guidebook or a roadmap to dealing with ourselves as people, kind of, kind of an instruction manual for the soul rather than an instruction manual. It's, it's an owner's operator's guide not a not a roadmap to anywhere. I mean, is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, it's, it's a roadmap to rejoining with the source energy. Right. So you can use that roadmap in any century, in any decade, in any day. And that does not change. Okay. We're going to pause really quick for a commercial break. Then we're going to come back. And I have a couple of specific questions about the Yoga Sutras. So we'll be right back in just a moment. There is no choice in life that will have more impact on your happiness than who you choose to share it with. Everyone wants to find that one big love. However, most people are looking for that love kind of like they would play the lottery. Finding great love is not a game of chance. Score Your Soulmate by Lisa M. Hayes is a by-the-numbers guide to finding the love of your life and creating a life you love. Score Your Soulmate is a step-by-step soulmate finding formula that anyone can follow. What you will get along the way is a swoon-worthy life you'll want to share with that perfect someone. You can find Score Your Soulmate on Amazon or your local bookstore. Get your copy and start your journey to happily ever after today. Okay. So, I'm going to ask the impossible question. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> I mean, the Yoga Sutras are a, a sutras, plural. I mean, there is a collection of them or a group of them. Mm-hmm. If you only could pick one, like a, a new person to this philosophy, somebody who's just getting started exploring this wisdom, if you had to introduce it with one or you could only mm-hmm. pick one to really teach what would it be? Oh, that's... <laughs> I told you it was a hard question. What's your favorite? Let's start there. That's an easier okay, question. Okay, so, no, I'm, I'm laughing because um, uh, it's a... I, I know the answer to that. Um, I'm just laughing because if I tell you what it is, you're going to be like, it's so simple, but so complex. At the same time, you're going to ask me, no, tell me another one. <laughs> No, that's why. <laughs> Let's hear it. Okay, so so um, to your question, if I had to just give one yoga sutra and kind of say, yeah, this is it. If you just do this, that's all you need to know. It would be uh, Yoga Sutra 1.2. The 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 and the the sutra is Yoga Chitta Vitti Nirodha, um, and I'll translate that. It means that uh, you have achieved or you, you have achieved yoga or unification or joining with the source uh, when you have quietened the mind to an extent. 
to an extent where there is not a single activity, not a single flutter, not a single thought. And you are in complete control of where your mind is. So your mind goes still, your mind is at zero, and you are in complete mastery of when that mind is allowed to flutter. So that's the Yoga Sutra that I feel is not only the most important, it's my favorite one. And if you don't want to go through the complexities of anything or studying anything else, if you just dedicate your entire life on reflecting and contemplating, how do I get myself to what this Yoga Sutra is trying, uh, trying to tell me? That is complete and utter quietening of the mind. That's my favorite one. See, I just took a deep breath because it's simple and it's, it's challenge. It's one of those things that's simple, but it's not easy. Mm-hmm. I think that that is the turning point of my spiritual practice. I mean, it, it, or not even turning point, but the introduction to what's possible is that possibility that I am the operator of my mind and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. That I have control or at least could have control over my thoughts rather than my thoughts running me and my behavior. That is Mm -hmm. a huge and extraordinarily powerful concept that you, that I think, yeah, I mean, that's that's a lifetime's worth of work right there. Yes. Yes. And it is the second verse in, in the sutras. Uh, It's part of the, the first section of uh, verses just a sadhana pada. Uh, there is one verse before that, but the second verse, the verse itself, hits it where it is and just tells you all you need to know about the universe, all you need to know about yourself, and all you need to know about the journey you have to take for the rest of your life. Which I think is that in itself is powerful because the journey that you take for the rest of your life, it starts in a moment. I mean, there's a moment of transformation and a lifetime's worth of practice Mm -hmm. that that is committed to that realization that you can actually own and control your own thoughts. Just deciding that or understanding that doesn't make it so. It's one of those things that is a, not just a day by day, but a moment to moment practice. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the, all the verses that follow and the complete set of 196 that we have, um, all of them are about, when, and when you study them, you realize that this, the, the reason why the Yoga Sutras have survived, I don't know how many thousands of years, and they still ring true today, and it is meant for um, any level of spiritual uh, uh, spiritual uh, spiritual level, because it empowers, it speaks of empowerment. It puts the power into your hands. There are verses that literally just tell you that you decide this whether you want to go like this or you want to go like this, and this is what you need to do. And it is that's why I like Yoga Sutras so much. And um, and I think as a as a as a 
spiritual person. Uh, I did not find too much comfort in a lot of the religious practices for that reason, because growing up, I always felt it took something from me. Like there was something missing where they asked me to hand over some bit of myself or some bit of my will and some bit of my power to someone else. They, they, they encouraged me not to explore, not to contemplate, not to question. And I think that's why, that's why I love the Yoga Sutras because all it tells you is that, like, for example, the words that we spoke of, you know, you, you've got to quieten the mind. And that's it. It doesn't give you a specific, uh, prescriptive, not specific, a prescriptive roadmap because it treats every individual as an incarnation, as a manifestation from source energy. And it, it literally believes that each person, each individual, each manifestation will want to journey this, uh, journey this goal in a different way. And that's the beauty of the Yoga Sutras. And that's what I love about the Yoga Sutras. So is that a lot? <laughs> that's a lot. But I mean, I like what you said about, I mean, it's, it's not a prescriptive practice. I mean, that I, I absolutely agree that a lot of religion, traditional religion, and I mean, I grew up in the West, so we're talking about Christianity here, is so focused on this is the way it is, these are the rules, this is the truth, and accept it on faith, do not explore. Do not go past go, do not, you know, do not explore, do not question, because the questioning itself is an act of disregard for faith, which is required for your salvation. I mean, I could go on and on about the differences here. I mean, the willingness to get quiet and to question and to explore and to be with your own truth is very counterintuitive to a lot of traditional Western religions, but you can't own it until it's your truth. Agreed, agreed. And and can I just say that most of these religions, the people that put this together, uh, you also have to understand that at that time, just like the spiritual uh, new age uh, philosophers are doing right now with our time. What are they doing? They uncover, contemplate, you know, these higher powers, these higher wisdom. They kind of work it themselves. And then they translate it into words that are, uh, that are contemporary, that can be understood by the people living in this time. But that doesn't mean that what what they are saying is the be-all or end-all. And I think even with a lot of modern religions, originally I have a, I have a feeling that they, the, the individuals that propagated these wisdoms, they were doing the same thing. They just put certain words together so that people living in that time could easily understand, could pick it up, and could start their journey. They could start their spiritual process and evolution what happened i think what happens in a lot of cases is that it gets handed down from one person to another it spreads and then someone else has it so you have all these different entities that get get kind of start taking control of those teachings 
and it gets mixed up. There is a bias because every every person that gets control of it has a human bias. They add a little more power, a little more control, and all these restrictions and oh, this is right, wrong. Uh, they build over time, and that's where I think in a, when when the religion when anyone propagates a new religion, I don't think that's what they meant, but it ends up like that over centuries till it reaches a point where it's so suffocating that you'll find most people leaving, which is not the intention of the person who thought up that system. Like I couldn't imagine uh, Jesus or Buddha saying, don't do this. You're going to get punished. You're going to burn in hell. Like I, I can't see them say that because they were such kind, loving, enlightened people. Does that make sense? Right. Right. I totally get that. So, and I agree. So I, and, and that's where I think religion takes the flag, but it's not It's not the religion itself, but it's the dilution and the human nature that creeps into these these uh, these religions that make it make it so that make it suffocating and eventually I feel people who are pursuing spiritual goals uh, who want to question who want to contemplate because that's our very nature uh, that's what our consciousness wants us to do because our consciousness has manifested into this physical reality for that experience for that expansion for that curiosity when you suffocate that aspect of the consciousness, it's going to rebel. It might not rebel today. Um, it, not might, it might not rebel with our generation. But eventually, the larger consciousness will rebel. And you're going to see that manifested through physical reality, either through nature or through people. Agreed. So, if somebody wants to get started studying the Yoga Sutras, and really going deeper into what yoga has to offer, where would you suggest that they start? So Other than high, where I would suggest that they start, by the way. But where would you suggest that they start? Um, so someone wants to, your question is specifically, someone is, any of the listeners are interested in studying the yoga sutras. So the best way, because I'll, I'll tell you this right now, yoga sutras, they're not sexy. <laughs> they require work and they require um, initial guidance because they can be very intense. And if you are not ready for the intensity, uh, it's going to turn you off. And which is why as you study it for the first time, it's better to have someone to guide you or at least someone where you can bounce off ideas and they know what they're talking about to help you through that journey. So my suggestion would be to find someone that facilitates these teachings. So either in person, I know a lot of people do this in person. You can find someone within your community. Um, I, I, uh, or you could find someone like me who is running a yoga sutras 
uh, discourse online. Or if you if you are already leveled up and uh, you are maybe a very spiritual person and you can take the intensity, then just buy the book. Uh, BKS Iyengar has Light on Sutras. Uh, it's one of his most popular books uh, where he has discussed each verse and then he's given his own interpretation and what it means. So that's a good way to start where you read one verse a day and then you read it in its interpretation and then you contemplate on what it's saying. But I'll tell you this, that Yoga Sutras is not a one-time read. It, it, people um, have dedicated their entire lives and you, I mean, you can read it a hundred times and you'll still find meaning uh, because every time you read it, 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 will, it will break certain limitations within you. Uh, but but yeah, th- those would be my three ways uh, that if you want to get yourself introduced to Yoga Sutra, either find someone face-to-face, which is always the best way to do it, find a teacher that is running these courses and uh, attend those, uh, or find someone online who can do that for you, join a group, and then you can be part of those discourses. Or if you are confident, then just buy a book with the interpretation and then just go through one verse each day. Which is a lot, actually. One verse a day doesn't sound like much, but it's a lot. So It is a lot, yeah. I mean, it's 196 verses, so it's like it's going to take, even if you're regular and uh, do it every day, it's going to take you 196 days just to get through one initial round of study. Yeah. All right. So tell us a little bit, just give us a quick update about what's coming up on your show and then tell everybody where they can find you if they want to connect with you about the yoga sutras or anything else. Perfect. So, so with, uh, so the show, the title of my show is called Awakened Wellness. And I'm going to be talking about body, mind, and soul. Um, And talking about the physical manifestations from a spiritual point of view. And we're going to uncover and give you a lot of tips on um, spiritually-led changes, spiritually-led actions that you can use on a daily basis and make huge changes in your physical body and your physical reality. So that's essentially um, what the show is going to be about. And the idea is, for each of the listeners to experience using these techniques and these actions to experience um, wellness in its entirety, physical, mental, as well as spiritual. And um, you can find me on my website, everydayellomagic.com, or simply just search for my handle, which is Socially Ruby, and it's my it's my Twitter handle, it's my LinkedIn handle, it's my Facebook handle. So if you just type Socially Ruby um, Facebook on on Google, you sh- you will be di- redirected. You'll see my name, and then you can get in touch. We made it almost all the way through the show without my dogs having a total freakout. <laughs> I think they went into Zen. They're like, yeah, <laughs> I'm listening to spirituality. I'm, I'm relaxing. <laughs> Zoning out. Yeah. I 
I can't recommend Ruby's work enough. I mean, I, I really can't. Her health-related work is amazing. The spiritual practice work is unsurpassed. And I would highly, highly encourage everyone to check Ruby out. It's Everyday LOA Magic. And check out her show. I will be giving you more information on where to get that. And thank you so much for joining me today and putting up with my technical issues. Thank you, Lisa. This was fun. All right. Until next time, guys, have a great day and a great week. for joining us on Love, Life, and Law of Attraction. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you back here next week. For more information, you can find me at lisamhayes.com.